take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And uh, I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Listening to God. Mark chapter 4. Mark says again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things and parables and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Father, we're so grateful today for the honor and the privilege that we have to open your word, to turn our attention to it, to read it, to study it together. There are many that do not have this privilege. But Lord, we know that with this privilege there is a great responsibility. We see over and over again in the Bible, not only here, but I'm reminded of the book of Revelation where Jesus repeatedly says, He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Father, today I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, our minds, our hearts to see those things that you want us to see. That your word would bring about transformation in our lives. Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have in Christ, the gift of being able to surrender to Him and serve Him. And there's many who don't know of that. 
So empower us and embolden us to be your witnesses as well and not only take what we learn in here, but to go out with it and to share the good news. Lord, we pray for those in our church family who are indeed hurting today that you would give them your peace and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think with me this morning about a couple of scenarios. A couple of scenarios that we find in the Scripture. Number one would be that scenario in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and he shows up in the town of Athens, Athens, Greece. A great town of learning. And all that Paul is initially going to do in the town of Acts is he's going to wait on his traveling companions. And when his traveling companions join him, he will move on in his missionary endeavors and and they will go other places preaching the word. But the Bible tells us while he was there in Athens, his heart was moved, it was stirred because as he looked around the town, he saw a city full of idols. And the Bible says that he went to the open air marketplace and he began debating there with the philosophers. They took him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was both a place and a town council. It was the place where the city government officials, if you will, would meet and discuss all the challenges and opportunities of the city. And so the philosophers took Paul to the Areopagus and Paul, the Bible says, began preaching the word of God to them. And then at the end of that story it says that when he spoke to them about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, some of them sneered. Some of them said, Paul, we will listen to you another day about these things. And some of them believed. Now folks, how do you account for that? How do you explain that? Some of them sneered. Some of them procrastinated and some of them believed. Another scenario, the Bible tells us that after an all night prayer meeting that Jesus called his 12 disciples. There was Peter and James and John as well as Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot. There was also Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot. Now we know on one occasion where Jesus had carried them to Caesarea Philippi and he asked them, who do men say that I am? Simon Peter gave that great confession. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Judas Iscariot denied him. Both men had spent three years with him. Both men had watched his miracles and listened to his teaching and yet one believed and confessed and one denied. How do you explain that? How do you account for that? 
Fast forward to today. How can a husband and a wife sit in the same church on the same pew and one grows in their faith while the other remains cold? One is maturing in their faith and learning to walk in the Spirit. Their Christian life is productive and fruitful. Meanwhile, the other one is not growing. In fact, it would appear that nothing really seems to be happening. There's no concern for prayer. There's no hunger or desire for the Word of God and no concern for the lost. How do you explain that paradox? Well, in this parable, Jesus helps us to answer those questions at least from the human side, from the side of man's responsibility. As we come to chapter 4, we see that Jesus is enjoying some degree of popularity. In fact, chapter 4 opens uh, by telling us that there were so many in the multitude who had come to listen to him that day. There was such a crowd pressing in on him that he got in a little boat and he pushed off from the shoreline to create a little distance between himself and the multitude. I mean, what a great problem that would be to have, right? Great crowds following him. And Jesus begins by telling them parables. He begins with his first parable. And I think it's very significant that his first parable has to do with listening to God. Now all three synoptic gospels record this parable. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them record this parable. And plus, this is a parable that Jesus gives the interpretation of it. Now both of those facts perhaps serve to elevate this parable all the more in urgency and importance. Now there's two elements in the parable. Involving promise and warning. It's hard to decide which one of those things is more important. Well first there's great promise and encouragement which ties in with the overall context. You see Jesus' disciples have witnessed his debates with the religious leaders. They're soon to hear about John the Baptist being put in prison and then right on the heels of that they're going to learn about John being beheaded. And so naturally the disciples could have started thinking is it really worth it to be with Jesus? I mean after all it just seems like almost everybody is going to reject him. What's going to happen to us then? And if Jesus is having trouble getting people to listen, do we even stand a chance of being heard? And so there's promise and encouragement here to the sower, whoever he may be. Now in the most immediate context, we know it's Jesus. He's the sower and then the disciples and then the early church and then us. And so whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a a pastor, a missionary or just a faithful witness at school or work, hang in there, keep sowing the seed, there's going to be a harvest. Don't get discouraged by people who don't seem to respond. 
Sometimes the numbers of those who don't seem to respond seem to be more than those who do. But Jesus gives great promise here. Keep sowing the seed because some are going to listen. Some are going to respond and some are going to have their lives changed. Well, that's definitely one angle to this parable. But the other angle we'll cover more today is the warning element. It's a warning to the crowd. What kind of soil am I? What kind of dirt am I? Am I listening? Because on the surface it seems like a lot of people are listening to Jesus, but how many are really hearing and how many are really embracing the claims of Christ? Now, folks, that's something we need to ponder today because there are churches on every corner and Bibles on every shelf, but the nation has perhaps never suffered from as much of a famine of the Word of God. Jesus is pointing out that we must constantly ask ourselves, what type of soil are we? Are we the type of soil that is responsible a receptive of the seed which is the word of God and are we really listening to God because many perhaps are coming to church it's a nice routine we do once or twice a week but are the claims of Christ really being embraced are we allowing the spirit of God to take the word of God and transform our lives is my life constantly being transformed more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. After all, James 1 tells us if we're only hearers of the word without being doers, all we're doing is deceiving ourselves. Is there anything that's taking place in my life? Any transformation, any growth? We need to understand there's nothing wrong with the seed. What is the seed? Jesus identifies the seed as the Word of God. Is there any shortcoming? Is there any lack in the Word of God? Certainly not. In fact, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, says the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And in Romans 1, Paul said to the Romans, I'm eager to come to you and preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome because the gospel is the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's power in the seed. There's, there's power in the gospel. There's power in the word of God. I read the testimony about Dr. Gaylord uh, Kambarami who was the general secretary of the International Bible Society in Zimbabwe. On one occasion he was passing out Bibles and one man didn't want one and the general secretary urged him to take one anyway and he said, Sir, you don't understand. If I take one of your Bibles, all I'm going to do is rip out page after page. When I rip out each page, I'm going to put my cigarette tobacco in it. I'm going to roll it up and I'm going to smoke it. The general secretary urged him to take a Bible anyway. He said, I want to challenge you to do something. Before you put your tobacco in it and roll it up and smoke it, when you tear out that page, read it first and then continue on and do whatever you're going to do with it. 
Well, years later, Dr. Kamarabi saw this man at a Christian conference and not only was he saved, but he was an evangelist and Dr. Kamarabi went up and talked to him about what had happened and he said, you remember that challenge you gave me? He said, yeah, I remember that challenge I gave you. What happened? What did God do in your life? He said, well, I'm here to tell you today, I smoked my way all the way through Matthew. And then I smoked my way all the way through Mark. And then I smoked my way all the way through Luke. And finally when I came to the Gospel of John, I was so convicted by everything that I'd been reading. I got down on my knees and asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. I was born again and then God called me into the ministry. Folks, what can do that? Only the Word of God. There's power in the sea. Nothing wrong with the seed. Likewise, nothing wrong with the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of the living God. And so the conclusion is that if I'm hearing the Word of God and the the Spirit of God is not using the Word of God to bring about growth and transformation in me, then I need to ask myself, what is wrong with me? I must be bad dirt. When the Word of God is preached or taught or shared, there's likely to be four different kinds of of dirt present representing people that give four different responses all together. And I would assume this morning all over the world today as the gospel is being preached, if you could get the big picture of what's going on all over the world today as the Word of God is being preached, you would see all of these responses being made. Now Jesus' point here is not that you can pick and decide, pick and choose at what level you want to belong to Him. You know, He's not saying, you know, over here is curtain number one. Behind curtain number one, well, you don't want to go there. Stay away from that one. Curtain number two, it's okay, you know, not really great, but okay, you can choose that. Curtain number three, maybe a little bit better, but boy, curtain number four is really what you want. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not his point here. His point here is that there is really only one legitimate response to the gospel. It's not multiple choice. It's not Christianity my way or your way. There is either the legitimate way or there is a series of illegitimate ways. First response. When the word of God is heard, some ignore it or reject it or they put it off until another time. They put off until another time a decision. Verse 4 says, And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Look down at verse 14 and 15 for the interpretation. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now all of these responses that I've mentioned, some ignoring it, some rejecting it, some putting it off until another time, all of those I'm putting under the category of making no response to the gospel. Which is in and of itself a response. 
Now Jesus begins telling a story that all of them could relate to because many in his audience would have been farmers. And they're up around the Sea of Galilee and that was some of the prime farming country in Israel. In fact, it's led some scholars to believe when Jesus got in that boat and pushed off from the shoreline, uh, maybe right in behind the crowd, there was a farmer out in his field and he was sowing. And so Jesus said, hey guys, I, I want y'all to turn around. Y'all, you know, he was a southern boy. He was born in Bethlehem, right? Hey, I want y'all to turn around and look at that farmer and behind you sowing his seed. We need to understand that the farmer's uh, property, it would be sectioned off in, in long uh, like rectangular plots of land and, and between their plots of land they would have walking paths where, where the people and their livestock traveled and, and usually those walking paths were about three or four feet wide something like this center aisle going down the church and, and here's a farmer what they would do you see they do it a little differently than we do we prepare the soil we get everything plowed up in nice neat rows and then we drop the soil uh, the seed in we cover the soil and, and, and we water it and we walk away. But uh, oftentimes they did it differently. They would, right before the rainy season began, they would uh, put a big leather pouch uh, around their uh, waist and they'd walk through their fields and they'd scatter the seed and then they would till it under and then they would let the rainy season come and, and they, after, when they tilled it over the seed and the rainy season came, obviously over the rainy season after at the end of that the sun would come out warm up the soil, the seeds would germinate. But again, all of this, they may be watching this very thing go on. And in verse 15, Jesus begins making the application. Some people, when they hear the gospel, they're like the hard path. The seed falls on it, but it might as well fall on concrete because it's not going to penetrate their heart and do any good. It's not that they don't hear. They hear just like everybody else. It just doesn't sink in. It doesn't do any good. You ever met anybody like this? I have. One of the privileges I have here on Tuesday night, part of our care ministry, we go out into the community and we knock on doors and we share the gospel. And man, we've seen God do some wonderful things. On occasion, it hasn't happened much. That we'll go out, and I remember one case in particular, me and another gentleman in the church, we knocked on a door and a young man came to the door. He was probably 30-something and we explained who we are and what we'd come to talk to him about the Lord. He said, I'm an atheist and he slammed the door. That's okay. I, I mean, okay as far as responding. He wasn't rejecting us. You just kind of have to... Brush yourself off and go on, not be offended by that. That's going to happen sometimes. Hard soil. But now folks, the person giving the hardened response may be like that. They may outright reject it. They may be angry about it. They may be antagonistic about it. But they may not. 
In fact, this response could be somebody sitting in church every week. They've got a thousand Sunday school lessons under their belt and they've heard a thousand sermons. They've just never really listened. They've never really paid attention to any of them and applied any of them to their lives. All they've done is come and listen and leave and no life change, no transformation, no evidence of conversion ever takes place in their life whatsoever. I may be talking to somebody right now giving this kind of response. For any number of reasons you come to church. But it's just something you do on Sundays. Or maybe your spouse drags you here. Maybe you've decided to attend church but that's all. That's about all that can be said. You attend but again no transformation. Jesus points out in verse 15 what's going on when a person is calloused or complacent about listening to God. Satan comes right along, cooperates with you 100%. He says, okay, I'll take that. And he snatches the seed away that you've heard. Paul talks about that very thing in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now folks, that right there serves as a warning to us. Whenever we hear the word of God, whether it's in a Bible study or at church or in our private devotions, we need to say, oh God, help me to hear this. Help me to understand it. Help me to apply this. And through this passage that I'm reading today, change my life. God, do your work in me. Help me not to just read this, close the Bible, set it aside, and nothing ever happens. You see, folks, we need to understand that spiritual warfare is going on. And a lot of times we think the spiritual warfare begins that morning once you get to the office and you walk through the office door and you encounter a hundred people there and they're all wanting something of you. You think maybe the spiritual warfare begins once you hit the door at work or school. But the spiritual warfare began that morning an hour or two earlier in your devotions when you opened up the Word of God and began reading the Word of God in your devotion. That's where the warfare begins. What am I going to do today with this devotion, with the Word of God that I'm reading? I think of some folks in the New Testament that illustrate this very thing that Jesus is talking about here. I think of Herod and his wife Herodias. You remember those? Those two folks? You remember them? John the Baptist had preached about their marriage because Herodias had been the wife of Herod's brother and Herod and Herodias started having an affair and she left one brother to marry the other brother. Well, Herod, the Bible tells us, Herod still loved to hear John the Baptist preach. Now again, he didn't do anything with it, but the Bible says he he found John the Baptist preaching entertaining. And he used to listen to him, have him come around and preach just so he could hear him. 
Boy, that strikes me as being funny. I, have you ever talked to lost people? I've talked to lost people today and they'll say, Yeah, preacher, you know what? I love to hear so-and-so preaching. I'll think, man, that's odd. Because whoever the so-and-so they mention might be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. You know, I would think they would cast out some other name. They love to hear somebody else that maybe just makes them feel good all the time. They'll mention somebody like a John the Baptist who's a hellfire and brimstone preacher. They say, man, preacher, I love hearing that guy preach. Well, that's how Herod was with John the Baptist. Loved hearing him preach. Found it entertaining. Just, just enjoyed listening to him. Now Herodias, on the other occasion, she hated hearing John preach. I mean, John had called her out as being an adulterous woman and pointed the finger at her. And boy, she didn't like that. Universal Studios last week, we went to some of these 3D... You ever go to some of these 3D movies or 3D programs? We went to one Terminator, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. And remember the, remember the, remember the one with the police, the Terminator, that the policeman that can transform into that silver, whatever it is? And, and uh, there on the screen, those 3D glasses on, that, that policeman, he'd transform and, and his arm would become like a knife or a sword and then woo, he'd come right out at you in the theater sitting there with the 3D glasses on. You're like, whoa. Well, that's kind of like how John the Baptist's finger had been preaching at, at Herod and Herodias. He's pointing right at her and saying, you're one of those women. You're an adulterer, an adulteress. And she didn't like that. She, she hated John the Baptist. This type soil right here. Again, her husband John, he enjoyed it. He didn't do anything with it. He fits in this category too. So one day Herod is having this party. He's got all some of his buddies around and he's having a big party for him. And Herodias' daughter comes in dancing. Now folks, don't, keep, don't get in your mind little school-age girls doing ballet, okay? That's not what's being communicated there. Make, makes me think when I was new here at Pitts, 15, almost 16 years ago, Melinda was a little girl then, and, and she'd be riding in the back seat. We'd, we'd be coming up the road from Charlotte up 29, and you know what's on, what used to be on the other side of the speedway up 29? There was this neon pink building that said baby dolls on it. Melinda would say, let's turn in there and go see the baby dolls. And we'd be like, no, Melinda, we're not. Why can't we turn in there? It's not that kind of baby dolls. <laughs> well, scholars say that's more the kind of dancing that's going on here with Herodias' daughter. And Herod and all the men loved it. And in fact, Herod was so pleased, he told his stepdaughter, ask anything want up to half of my kingdom so she went and asked mama she said mama what should I ask for and, and, and mama said I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter Herod didn't want to do it shouldn't have done it but he felt the pressure so chopped off John the Baptist's head again both of them fall into the same category Somebody else in that category would be uh, King Agrippa. Remember what Agrippa told Paul when Paul was on his way to Rome and preaching the gospel? Uh, uh, Agrippa said, Paul, almost you, con you convinced me to be a Christian. Almost. 
hardened response. You see, it doesn't have to be a hateful response to Christianity. It could, somebody, it could be somebody saying, Preacher, I like your church. I enjoy Sunday school class. I enjoy the sermons. I, I really enjoy pits. I'm just not ready to deal with spiritual things right now. I'll deal with spiritual things one day in my life. Just not now. Wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody like that was here today. The hardened response. Ignore, reject, or put it off, procrastinate. Second, when the word of God is heard, some receive it only out of emotion. Look at verses 5 and 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Now look down at verses 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, you need to understand the type of soil, rocky soil being mentioned here is not Cabarrus County rocky soil. You plant a garden, you till and bump into a rock and you throw that rock out of the way. You go on another couple of feet and hit another rock, throw that rock. That's not what's being explained here. Uh, Israel is known in, in certain areas to have, there, there might be several inches of, of soil on top of a layer of limestone or sandstone. And there'll be certain areas like that. And that area might be as big as this whole entire sanctuary or this whole entire campus. Uh, that soil looks good from the surface, but there's a little bit of soil and it's just a big rock table or rock slab underneath. That's what's being uh, explained here. They drop in the seed, they turn the seed over, the rainy season comes, and then the sun comes out at the end of that, dries up, the seeds germinate, and everybody says, wow, this first crop's going to be the best of the whole crop. Because see, it's shallow, so it, it heats up, it got wet quick, heats up quick, seeds germinate quick. But the problem is, when it, when it keeps staying dry, the plants send down roots looking for water and nourishment and hits the rock. Nothing there. So it withers and dies. Well, Jesus is describing here the person who has a very shallow faith based on emotion. They hear the gospel. They get all excited about it. And folks, by the way, thank God for emotion. Nothing wrong with a little bit of excitement. A preacher likes it every now and then when somebody in the crowd says, Amen. Amen. Heard about a fellow one time, his church was so dead. He said, if anybody died in my church in service, the EMTs would come in and haul out 15 people before they got the right one. But the second response represents an emotional response, but sadly, that's about all they have. They want to feel good all the time. Boy, I can guarantee you, every pastor has met people in this crowd. Preacher, I just want to feel good. I want to feel it. Preacher, I don't come to church anymore. It used to be fun. The sermons used to make me laugh or cry or both, but now it's just not exciting anymore. The music doesn't move me. I don't get as much out of anything anymore. I just don't feel it. 
you know, they'll get on this kick this week, another kick next week, then it's on to some other fad. There are people like that. They hear about some preacher coming to town or some music group and they'll pack out a bus or a van and run over here and run over there next week or next month and they just sort of keep hopping around going to hear everybody. They just want to have fun. Let's go on this cruise or that cruise. Let's find this Christian cruise. To By the way, what's a Christian cruise? What is that? If I put on my boat, this is a Christian boat or the or 10-pound bass going to start jumping in my bass boat all of a sudden. Some people just want to run around all the time, Christian cruise. It's, it's like going in bookstores these days, Bibles, outdoorsman Bible, Bible for chefs, Bible for vegetarians. Man, I want the meat eaters, meat, meat lovers Bible, Amen. Outdoorsman Bible, this, that, what's, what's that? Well, there are people who just want to run around and have fun all the time. They don't ever serve anywhere, do anything with their lives of kingdom value. They just kind of want to hop around everywhere being entertained and they're looking for the next source of entertainment to come to town. Maybe they hear the gospel at a revival. They come down the aisle, they're crying like a baby. They're so excited for about a month. And then they just seem to drop out of the faith altogether. What happened? They didn't count the cost of being a disciple. They made an inappropriate response. Jesus says in verse 17 here, when tribulation or hardship happens because of the word or persecution, because of the word, they fall away. Again, don't get me wrong, emotion's great, but listening to God and responding to the gospel and becoming a Christian has got to be a lot more than just your emotions. The person who is going to follow Christ, Jesus said, the man who wants to come after me and be my disciple has got to do what? He's got to deny himself. Boy, what about that? We don't like hearing that, do we? Denial? No, Jesus, I want to go to a conference and uh, have somebody build up my self-esteem. I want to feel better about myself. You're telling me i got to deny myself. He says, that's right. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. Today, cross, shiny little thing around our neck. Everybody says, oh, how pretty. But back then, a cross was an instrument of death. You were carrying your cross when you were going to the place that they were about to crucify you. Jesus said, unless you're willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. We've got to count the cost. What are we doing with what we hear? Every day are we building on a solid foundation? Am I in the process of loving God with all of my heart? Am I abiding in Christ? Am I forgiving those people in my life that have wronged me that I need to forgive? Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Am I seeking more and more to lay up my treasure in heaven? Am I serving in my local church? Am I growing as an ambassador for Christ, a witness for Christ? Am I praying? In other words, is there any evidence of conversion? Is, is there anything happening in my life deeper than the emotion when I'm confronted with the gospel? 
You mean, preacher, you're saying I can come to church and cry my way through the whole service and still be lost? Absolutely. You can have an emotional response. Cry yourself all the way through. I've probably had some people cry through my sermons. Cry through the sermon. Or you can laugh your way all through the sermon. Have a great emotional engagement. And still be lost. Yes. Yes. Thirdly. When the word of God is heard, some give the initial impression they receive it, but their life is divided and crowded and nothing tangible ever really changes. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Look down at verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is probably the greatest temptation of all for modern man. It's the case of two crops competing for the same soil. This is the American dilemma. The case of spiritual things and worldly things competing for the same soil, the same life, the same heart. And guess which wins? Spiritual things or worldly things? Well, oftentimes worldly things. Now, folks, I want you to follow the order here. Jesus said these are the ones who hear. You see, so oftentimes we conclude that the man who will not listen to God is the one who hasn't even heard. No, that was scenario one. These hear, and yet something happens. Jesus said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke the word. The cares of this world, these could be perfectly innocent in and of themselves. Jesus' point is that some people are dictated in life by the cares of this life. They work on their to-do list thinking, one of these days I need to listen to God, but the to-do list never quits growing. There's always going to be something new to do in the world. The job is always going to make another demand on you. School is always going to make yet another demand. Your friends and your family are always going to make yet another demand on your life. Now, do we want to be the best school person, student, employee? Yes, of course. But the problem is people who are saying one of these days, you know, there's just there's just so much coming in on my life right now. Next month I'm going to be less busy than I am right now. I'll think about Jesus Christ next month. That next month never comes because there are always new demands. Before long, life's passed us by. Life's over and everybody's standing around our grave. We didn't mean for it to happen that way. What was the commercial they used to say? What was life comes at you fast. Boy, it does. And just suddenly one day life's over and, and you've been meaning, you know, you had all these cares and thinking one of these days, one of these days, one of these days. That just never happens. Then Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches. 
They promise life, but they don't deliver. Have you ever noticed how everything in the world comes along? Oh boy, you need that. Advertisers are great at this. You need, if you need this, your life is going to be abundant and contented and you get that and it's fun for a while. It grows old. You move on to something else. You move on to something else. You keep moving on to other things. Why? Because they don't work. Jesus says, what's it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very own soul? Then he mentions desire for other things. There are some people who, who put maybe a hobby ahead of God. Anything wrong with a hobby? No. A hobby can be a wonderful outlet. But what if it consumes your life? I've known women in the church who were, who were widows to their husband's hobby or vice versa. It just kind of consumed the person. All of these cares, worries, desires, deceptions have one message in them. And that message they communicate is that life is all about what you can see, hear, and touch. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Life is much more than just the physical dimension. You are created for a relationship with God. And God has made that possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what you were made for. Everybody's running around looking for something's going to give them peace and contentment. And only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is going to give them peace. What did Jesus say? No man can serve two masters. That rich young ruler came to him in Mark chapter 10. And now Jesus told him something that Jesus didn't tell everybody. See, Jesus could see his heart that that man was filled with pride over his possessions and and position in life. And so what did Jesus say to somebody who, who had that attitude to life, that life's all about the abundance of things? Jesus told the rich young ruler, you need to go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says that young man's head dropped. Because he was very rich. And he just decided, no, I I can't follow Jesus at that high of a price. No man can serve two masters. The crowded life, divided life, the seed, all the thorns and, and weeds, the things of this life, choke it out. Kind of reminds me of a young couple. I read about this young couple. They were so much in love. And the man said to his girlfriend, he said, Honey, I want you to know I love you with all my heart. She says, I love you with all my heart too. He said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. He said, Now, I I can't give you what John Brown over there can give you. Cars, homes, diamonds, vacations, riches. I can't give you everything he can give you. But I love you with all my heart. And she said, honey, I love you with all my heart too. I just got one question for you. And he said, what's that? She said, tell me more about this John Brown fella. (laughs) Divided heart. Divided interest. And then finally... We see that when the word of God is heard, some make a proper response and their lives are forever changed. 
Verse 8, Jesus said, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Look down at verse 20. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Jesus says this is the one who hears, but he notice he doesn't just hear. The other one's also heard, but this one hears and accepts. In other words, they count the cost. They understand what God is really asking of them, and their Christian life is a pattern. They hear, they accept, they obey, they grow. God reveals more to them. They accept, they make necessary changes in their life so that they obey and they grow. It's a pattern, and what they end up doing is they end end up producing fruit in their life. Aha! The New Testament says that's the evidence of conversion right there. Fruit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness. That ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And then there's the outer sense of fruit, being ambassadors for Christ and touching other people. But the, the person who makes the legitimate response to the gospel, his life is transformed to the point it makes a difference. He bears fruit. Now notice we don't all bear fruit at the same degree. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Jesus knows. Just like in the parable of the talents. One guy got five talents. One guy got two. One got one. And and the guy who got two talents and was faithful with two was commended on the same level as the guy who was faithful with the five. Jesus knows we're not all at the same place in terms of fruitfulness. But the point is a true believer, a true child of God, somebody who is really born again, their life is going to evidence that they're going to bear fruit. What did Jesus say about that in John 15, 8? He says, go and bear fruit and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. The proof is in the fruit bearing. That means if I call up our church clerk, Teresa Kaiser, and say, Hey, is so-and-so a Christian? If she were to rummage through the church clerk files, go through church letters, scroll through all the way back. Oh yeah, he joined the church in June of 56. Okay, he's a believer. Not necessarily so. In the New Testament, the evidence of conversion is your life change? That's what First John is all about. Do I love the brethren? Do I love the commands of God? Do I love the things of God? The person who says he loves God and yet he walks, he lives in darkness, John says is a liar. Life change is the evidence of conversion. And that's what he's talking about right here. Now notice Jesus closes by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like he's saying, Hey, are you really listening? Are you really listening? There are a lot of people who hear. A lot of people who hear, some of them are in that first category. A lot of people who hear, some of them are in that second category. A lot of them who hear, they're in that third category. But here's this fourth category. They hear, they accept, they count the cost, they bear fruit. Their life is different because they name the name of Jesus. Folks, there's only one proper response to the gospel. 
One proper response. Have you heard? Have you responded? Has it changed your life? How about in your Christian walk, every time you read or hear the Word of God, do you search for what God is telling you and hunger and, 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 and the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and brings about some kind of change in you? I, I'm not here to suggest for one moment that a Christian doesn't have some valleys and some bumps in the road and curves along the way and, and even periods of stumbling. But what I'm talking about, the pattern of your life, since you named the name of Christ, the pattern of your life, the, the consistency of your life, overall, does your profession of faith give evidence that you've made a legitimate response to the gospel? Because if we take this parable at face value, most don't. What about you? What about me? Our response every day ought to be like what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In light of the mercies of God, our lives would be that living sacrifice to God. Day in and day out. That living, holy sacrifice. What kind of dirt am I? What kind of dirt are you? Back to that story again I opened up with out of Acts chapter 17. Some sneered, some procrastinated, some believed. You see, we're not all the same. What kind of dirt are you? Have you made a legitimate response? To the gospel. Would you stand please? Maybe somebody here this morning that needs to come forward and say, Pastor, I, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. Can you, can you pray with me? I don't want to just be religious. I want to be born again. Can you pray with me? We'd be happy to. Somebody else perhaps that's looking for a new church home where you can link elbow to elbow and arm to arm with brothers and sisters in Christ and be about God's mission in the world. We'd love to be your church home. You step out and come forward. Maybe there are Christians. You know you're saved, but you're in, you're in a point right now that just... If you are going to be convicted of being a Christian, there may not be a lot of evidence. And you recognize that. And you need to come to this altar and say, God, that transformation that was once in my life, that hunger for the Word and desire for the things of God, God, would you do a fresh work in me? I'm here today to commit my life to you afresh and anew. The altar's open for you to do that. Have I, have you, made a legitimate response to the gospel? Are we listening to God?